Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala, rabbi shrah li sadri, wa yassir li amri wahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Welcome back my brothers uh, to the fourth lesson of the seerah. Brothers, last lesson, as you guys know, for those who were here, we went through the story of Zamzam and the story of Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And we mentioned that there were two main instances regarding the uh, regarding Abdul Muttalib in reality. He had a lot of instances related to him, but there were two main ones. One of them, we said, was the story of Zamzam and the rediscovery of the well, which is of utmost importance, especially, subhanAllah, when we go, for example, to Umrah, when we go to Hajj and the likes, we see, uh, obviously, all the Muslims drinking Zamzam. So يعني, it's important to understand how the well was discovered, how the well was rediscovered, the story behind it, the story of Hajar, alayhi salam, radiallahu anha, to the end of it, subhanAllah. And also the virtues of Zamzam water. So for those who didn't, uh, weren't here last lesson, you can go back, inshaAllah ta'ala, to that lesson. Uh, what's the second thing, brothers, we mentioned about Abdul Muttalib or the main thing that happened regarding him? Yeah, brothers, does anyone remember? We said the story of Zamzam and the rediscovery of the woe. And we also said the story of... Uh, no, that was part of it. That's, that's what re, re, refined is what rediscover means. <laughs> so I said that the, <laughs> I said that one of the main stories was that the, the discovery of the woe of Zamzam and the rediscovery of the woe. And then I asked, what's the second story? So to say, to refine the woe of Zamzam, that just means rediscover the well of Zamzam. <laughs> so we said, brothers, you're just giving us an English lesson. That's like We said, brothers, the second instance was the story of the elephant. The story of the elephant, which Allah Azza wa Jal obviously named the whole chapter after Surah Al-Fil. Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi ashabil fil. Now, inshallah ta'ala, that's what we're going to be discussing today. So as I said, just to repeat one more time, we previously discussed the well, the well of Zamzam and the rediscovery by Abdul Muttalib and how he had the dream and the likes. And inshallah ta'ala, today we're going to briefly discuss the story of the elephant. And the year of the elephant was the year of the Prophet's birth. The year of the Prophet's birth was known as the year of the elephant. And subhanAllah, the Arabs back in the days, brothers, even at the times of Jahiliyyah and the likes, and this could be because they were an illiterate nation in the sense that they did not read or write in a general sense. They used to name certain years after certain occurrences or incidents. So for example, if there was a great instance or a great matter that happened in a certain year, they would call that year the year of whatever. So for example, for us, right, everybody knows uh, 9-11. So for example, you say, Khalas, 9-11 was that year, for example, the year of 9-11, the year of this person's death, the year of this person's birth, and the likes, yani. So when there was a great, something massive that happened uh, in the community, in the world, or something like this, they named a year, or they named that year after that instance, or whatever it was. So this is a perfect example. Why was it called Amul Fil, the year of the elephant? Because in this specific year, and this is important for inshallah our next lesson or the lesson after. We're going to learn that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was born in the year of the elephant. So why was it called the year of the elephant if you ever read that or hear that in the seerah and the likes? Because in this year, this story that we're going to be discussing today inshallah ta'ala uh, happened and occurred in that, in that year. Likewise, Amul Huzn, the year of sorrow. What happened in that year brothers? 
Huh? Yeah, that's right. Very good. The uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, who was a massive figure in his life. Even though he was a disbeliever, he was a massive support, a massive defense uh, of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And in reality, Islam uh, passed away. And who else? We said Khadija radiyallahu ta'ala anha, the beloved of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his wife. They passed away in that year, and it caused the Prophet it caused the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam deep sorrow, sadness. And because of that, it was known as the year of sorrow. And likewise, Amr Ramada, and that is the year where, or at the time of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, approximately 16, 17, 18 years after the hijrah, when there was a massive famine, a massive famine, food shortage and the likes, and Amr Jama'ah, the year of the congregation, when Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his son Al-Hasan, he gave ple- the pledge of allegiance to Muawiyah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, so it was known as the year of the congregation. And there's many, many other examples. Until the time of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, during his caliph, uh, or caliphate, yani his reign, he got gathered the companions together and they came up with the calendar that we know today, the Hijri calendar. And obviously the Hijri calendar begins from when, brothers? Ah, yeah, that's right, the year of the Hijrah. That's why it's known as the Hijri calendar. Ibn Hajar radiallahu ta'ala anhu wa rahimahullah, he says, the incidents that are connected to the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that could have been taken as the star of the calendar of four. So now Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, ah, he gathered the companions together. And now they need to come up with something to begin almost like a dating system. Uh, to begin now a certain dating system that we can go off to work out certain things. Like now if I owe you money, you owe me money, it's a debt. Okay, I owe you, for example, uh, uh, the money that you gave me at a certain date. Tayyib, which year? Uh, when did you pay it off? When do you owe it by? When do you want to three, etc.? So they came up with this dating system. So now, the, when he gathered the companions, they spoke about and they discussed which date do we go off? Or when do we go off? So they all had a say and the likes until they gathered or they came to the conclusion which we'll see. We'll see. So he says the incidents that are connected to the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that could have been taken as the start of the calendar of four. His birth, the start of his mission, his migration and his death. Now there are four main instances of the Prophet's life sallallahu alaihi wasallam that they could have possibly started the calendar from. They thought it was best to start the calendar from the hijrah because in the case of his birth and the start of his mission, there would be uncertainty with regards to the exact year. And we'll talk about that insha'Allah ta'ala when we speak about the birth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, as for the time of his death, they chose not to use it because remembering it would renew their grief. Remembering it would renew their grief. So there was no choice left except the hijrah and they chose Muharram as the first month of the year rather than Rabi'ul Awwal because the plan to migrate started to take shape in uh, Muharram. And Al-Hakim collects that Sa'id ibn Musayyib rahimahullahu ta'ala, he said, Umar assembled the people, meaning the companions, and he asked them what the first day of the calendar should be. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, it should start from the day when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam migrated and left the land of shirk. So that's where it uh, started. So that's why brothers now, just for those who didn't know, if you're ever reading, for example, and you see in brackets after a, uh, a companion's name or after a tabi'i's name, you see a certain date. Just for example, yani 256 or whatever, 61 or 678. Whatever it is in brackets usually. Sometimes you even see the ha 
in Arabic or the H in English, meaning this individual, generally it means this individual passed away, passed away this many years after the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this year was called the year of the elephant. And it was the year the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam was born in, we said. But there is a bit of a difference regarding some matters. Some matters pertaining to when he was born. Inshallah, as I mentioned, we're going to get that uh, to that. And we're going to mention some of the differences of opinion when it's time. So what was the occurrence of the elephant? Yani what happened? Subhanallah, how this instance was such a massive instance to the Arabs in general that they named a whole year after this certain matter. There's a lot of things that happen in the year, as you guys know, Yani. Look, just look at our lives, right? There are unbelievable things that happen in our lives every single day, every single week, every single month, every single year. So what could have possibly happened that they called a whole year after that? And Allah Azza wa Jal, as we said, He made mef- a mention and reference to this in the Quran where He spoke about Surah or in Surah Al-Fil, Alam tara kayfa fa'ala rabbuka bi ashab al-fil. Have you, O Muhammad, not seen how your Lord dealt with the companions or the owners of the elephant, the people of the elephant? And the story of the people of the elephant we mentioned has been mentioned in the Quran in general. And there are specifics that have come in the Sunnah, Sunnah and the works of history and the works of the exegesis which is tafsir and the like. So when you see the books of history brothers, when you see the books of Sirah, when you see the books of tafsir, there is a lot which is authentic and there is also a lot which is not authentic. Which is not authentic. Now generally speaking, many of the ulama, they were a lot more lenient regarding taking with uh, weak narrations if they were slightly weak when it came to the topic of seerah. And inshallah when we speak about the um, instances of the actual life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, we'll discuss that in a bit more uh, detail. But as I said, generally speaking, there were a lot more lenient, the ulama, than ta- with taking, uh, with da'if a hadith, if they're slightly weak, with weak narrations, in the seerah, in tafsir, in history and the likes. It's not like, for example, aqidah, where they were a lot more stricter. And anyway, inshallah ta'ala, will discuss that when the time, uh, when the time for it uh, comes. Now, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had a camel uh, named Al-Qaswa. This was the name of the camel. And it was a camel initially bought by Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then he sold it to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wasallam. And this shows us brothers the permissibility of knowing, or sorry, naming animals. Of naming animals. Uh, for those who attend my Kitab al-Tawheed lessons on Thursday night at Auburn, we went through and we said we're going to continue it next week insha'Allah ta'ala. We went through the hadith where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiallahu ta'ala anhu behind him on a donkey. And the donkey's name was what? Does anybody know? Some of the ulama, they said the donkey's name was... You put up your hand, Akhi. Do you, you want to answer? Or it was that false salam? <laughs> that was definitely not the donkey's name. Jazakallah khaira. <laughs> so the donkey's name, as some of the ulama, they mentioned was Afir. And some of them, they said Ya'afur. 
with a few different uh, uh, kind of uh, tashkil here and there, as some of the ulama have mentioned. The point is that, the, uh, as we said at the first lesson, the introduction, brothers, sometimes we'd see the weapons of the Prophet ﷺ, they were named. The animals of the Prophet ﷺ, they were named, either with actual names or with nicknames such as al-jad'a and the likes. And some ulama, they said these are all names and nicknames for one specific camel. The, pro- the point is, brothers, we are allowed to name animals. But what we should not do, as many of the ulama, they said, they said we should not name animals after names of the prophets. Likewise, we should not name animals after things which are Islamically, they have some sanction to them. Uh, they have some as well hurma to them. Like for example, you're not going to go name an animal Quran or one of the books, right? You're not going to name an animal uh, after one of the names of Allah Azza wa Jal You're not going to name an animal after a name of the Prophet likewise. And some of the ulama even said you shouldn't name animals after the names of companions uh, and the likes. Uh, this is a different insha'Allah topic which once again whoever wants more detail can come to next week's lesson at Auburn insha'Allah ta'ala next Thursday but I just thought I'd mention that the name of the Prophet's camel was called Al-Qaswa anyway one day subhanAllah this camel uh, knelt as we're going to get to in the end of the story insha'Allah ta'ala and some of the companions they said yani khalas it's uh, they say in English it's become yani, jaded as came, yani exhausted. It doesn't want to move anymore. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, ma wa ma laha That al-qaswa has not become exhausted. And that's not one of her characteristics. Yani this camel, it just pretty much like froze. It doesn't want to move anymore. Uh, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was on it. So now uh, they said that the camel's been exhausted. These are the companions. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned that this was not a characteristics of the camel. So he named it anyway. And then he mentioned in one of the narrations in Al-Bukhari, وَلَكِنْ حَبَسَهَا حَابِسُ الْفِيلِ However, the one that stopped the elephant, which is our story today, the one that stopped the elephant, yani Allah Azza wa Jal, he is the one that stopped this camel. He is the one that stopped this camel. So what do we mean or what does the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mean? The one that stopped the elephant? Inshallah, we're going to understand that going through uh, the topic today. So in a nutshell, brothers, there was an individual by the name of Abraha. Abraha, he wanted to destroy the Kaaba and Allah azza wa jal eventually destroyed him. So as we said, his name was Abraha. He was called Abraha al-Ashram. To the end of it, he was the governor of Yemen. And he was an Abyssinian king, subhanAllah. But they had pretty much taken over Yemen and they had the authority over Yemen. He set out with a fierce army wanting to invade Mecca and destroy the Kaaba. But obviously now, brothers, that's like hearing kind of like, you know, three quarters into the story. So what happened prior to that? That's what we're going to say, inshaAllah. Abraha, after seeing the Kaaba and the likes, yani obviously all the... Arabs, the Muslims, um, or specifically the Arabs at this time, يعني, they were flocking to the Kaaba, they're around the Kaaba, they're around Mecca, they're around this subhanAllah area and the likes. He wanted to do his own thing. So because, يعني, becoming jealous and the likes, he wanted to build something that likewise can draw the people to where he was in Yemen, uh, specifically, Wallahu A'lam, in As-Sana'a. So what did he do? He actually built something which was like a church. And he was a Christian as we're going to see, insha'Allah ta'ala. So he built this church, he built this uh, cathedral, he built this 
place of worship. Uh, 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 but you've got to understand, brothers, that it wasn't all because of his religion. It was all pretty much tactical thinking. That I'm going to build this, and now people are going to start flocking and flocking and flocking to this place. And it was mentioned in the Arabic, yani, that it was called Al-Qullais. Al-Qullais, wallahu a'lam, yani, as I said, similar to a cathedral. Now, brothers, this individual, after building this massive thing, subhanAllah, he's happy. And he's proud of his achievements, subhanAllah. So the last thing you want to do, or the last thing you want done, is someone coming and uh, pretty much harming, wrecking, destroying what you built. And that's exactly, subhanAllah, what happened as we're going to say, inshaAllah ta'ala. But before that, we know, look what Allah Azza wa Jal says about uh, uh, the Kaaba and about Hajj in general and Mecca. Allah Azza wa Jal, he says regarding Ibrahim alayhi salam, وَطَهِرْ بَيْتِيَ لِلطَّائِفِينَ وَالْقَائِمِينَ وَالْرُكَّعِ السُّجُودِ وَأَذِّنْ فِي النَّاسِ بِالْحَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرِ يَأْتِينَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍ عَمِيقٍ and proclaim to mankind the Hajj. They will come to you, yani everyone, on foot and on every lean camel. They will come from every deep and distant mountain highway. So he wanted something like this, subhanAllah, that everyone's coming from all over the place, all over the world, they're all coming. Yallah, he wants to build something and he did build something expecting it to be like this. Now, when the people heard of this and they heard what he wanted from that and behind that, and subhanAllah, uh, Abraha, he had actually sent a letter or sent message to the Ethiopian king saying, I built this for you. And one, two, three. And he says, I won't stop. I won't stop pretty much until it ends up like the Kaaba and people coming. And he says, until I divert the people, divert the people of Mecca to what I built. So now he's, he, he, you know, it's a threat pretty much to the people of Mecca. It's a threat pretty much to the Arabs at that time of Mecca. It's a threat to the Kaaba. To the Kaaba. So a Meccan individual, a person, a man from Mecca, he subhanAllah heard of this. And now he got obviously ghira over his religion and the likes. So what did he do? And it was mentioned he was from the tribe of Quraysh. He actually ended up going to Yemen and As-Sana'a. Whether he was already there and he heard of the news or he ended up going from Mecca, Wallahu ta'ala a'la wa a'lam. The point is that he went there. And Ibn Ishaq, he mentions, فَقَعَدَ فِيهَا Ibn Hisham, they explain this, he says, أَحْدَثَ فِيهَا يعني, Pretty much he went, and mind you, some of the Bedouins brothers, as we know, يعني, they were very hard, يعني, very hard to deal with, subhanAllah, when it came to etiquettes and stuff like that. And we all know the story of that Bedouin Arab that went and urinated in the masjid, correct? Uh, he went and urinated in the masjid and the companions, they got very extremely angry and agitated. And they wanted to stop him. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he actually stopped them from stopping him until he finished. Then he went and he explained to this Bedouin Arab. The point is a Bedouin Arab urinating in a masjid, subhanAllah. And this shows us how they were with etiquettes, with things like this. They weren't that knowledgeable either because they were busy living away from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam most of the time. So this individual... He saw the threat to the Kaaba, and he saw the threat to Mecca. He saw the threat to, you know, the Qibla. So what did he do pretty much? The Qibla, Qibla obviously after Jerusalem, but they, they held it in high esteem, high regards, they honored it heavily. So what did he do? He went to this uh, cathedral that Abraha had built, and he uh, relieved himself in there. He relieved himself in the cathedral, and he went to the toilet inside the cathedral that Abraha had built. Now, brothers, you know, picture it like you know us right now, right? You 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 make even like the simplest of things. You make a sandwich, right? Or you make a drink for yourself at home, and someone comes and does something to wreck that drink. You get upset, right? So you do a job for somebody, uh, for any brothers that are builders here, or yani anyone that works in trades. You do something, you finish the job. You know, alhamdulillah, uh, half a day's work, a day's work. 
an hour's work, you get upset if someone does even the littlest thing to it, the slightest thing to affect it or to harm it, to destroy it, to hurt it, whatever you want to say. So now imagine this, subhanAllah. You spend all that time commanding, instructing, ordering, wanting this thing to be built. And it gets built. And it's big, it's massive. And this, as I said, from the tactical warfare, يعني, that people are going to come and this is going to be the new big thing. And one, two, three, and it's going to cause the trade to increase. And one, two, three, and merchandise, and I don't know what. And then someone comes, subhanAllah, and goes to the toilet in it. And you're a Christian, mind you, this is your place of worship as well. So he became infuriated. This is who? Abraha now. He became very, very upset. To the extent some of the ulama when discussing this topic, they mentioned that he didn't just stop by just going to the toilet. He grabbed his own yani, uh, doing yani, where he, how he relieved himself. He grabbed it and he started wiping it over the walls and stuff like that. <laughs> Allahu A'lam. The point is whether he did that or not. Now it's a threat to this cathedral. Abraha is going to get angry, of course. He's infuriated. And mind you, he was known to be, yani, subhanAllah, very, very fierce and very stern and staunch, even though he had some etiquettes and some traits of karam, generosity and lutf and leniency and one, two, three. But he, you know, it was mentioned, Wallahu ta'ala a'la wa a'lam, how authentic these, these, these stories are. Yani. But it was mentioned by some that if people came yani, uh, uh, to work in a certain state uh, that he wasn't pleased with, or came to work, for example, delayed or late and the likes, yani he would do certain things to them out of yani anger. Like, come on time, we're building a cathedral here. This is the next big thing, one, two, three. So subhanAllah, over time, uh, this happened, he became infuriated, filled with rage and anger. So he gathered his army, he gathered his army, and it was mentioned, yani it's not like a, a person or two or a thousand or two, not even 10 to 20,000. Some of the ulama, they said approximately 60,000 men 60,000 men, because this isn't a small thing now. We're going to destroy the Kaaba. This isn't small. You know, the Arabs back then, they had that ghira still. And they had that courage, subhanAllah. They're not just going to let him, generally speaking, walk in and yalla, go do what you want. Of course, the, towards the end of the story, we're going to see what happened with Abdul Muttalib. But on the way there, he went to war with certain tribes, subhanAllah. So now, they, they said, yalla, gathered 60,000. And it was mentioned that he gathered approximately 13 elephants. And elephants back then, brothers, elephants back then, they weren't something that was like, you know, today you go to the zoo, wallah, you go see an elephant, you can pat an elephant, wallah, you can feed an elephant, this, you take a photo with an elephant. It's, yani, it's not anything massive or amazing. Like probably if we saw an elephant yani, in the streets today, some of us will be like, yeah, and what? You know, like when you go towards the, the, the country areas, you see people riding on horses, right? It's like, and what? Yani, meaning that we're used to them, we're accustomed to them. Back then, the Arabs weren't like that. You need to see an elephant, Allahu Akbar, if they had ever even seen an elephant. So he gathered these elephants. And he didn't just gather the elephants, but he gathered those who would train elephants and things like this. And subhanAllah, the, yani, there's a lot to say about the story. I didn't want to mention every detail. Because if we mention every detail, as I mentioned at the start, it's going to drag on way, way too long. But he gathered those who train elephants. One, two, three. Why? As I said, brothers, this isn't a simple task. This isn't a small task. We're going to destroy that which is the pride of Arabs. We're going to destroy the Kaaba, subhanAllah. So he gathered all of these people, and it was mentioned that the elephant which Abraha had, and the elephant that he sat on was the top elephant. And what was his name, brothers? Uh, we know the kids' stories. No one knows at all. The, the name of the elephant, brothers. Someone has to know. <laughs> his name was Mahmoud, it was mentioned. Wallahu a'lam. Does that ring a bell to anyone or no clue? 
خلاص يلا خير إن شاء الله. So it was mentioned that his name was uh, Mahmud. That was like the top elephant that Abraha would sit on. Now he gathered this massive army. Obviously, Subhanallah, words gonna get out. So the Arabs they heard uh, that Abraha is intending to come and destroy the Kaaba. And it's been mentioned in some of the narrations that they said that this is an obligation upon us now to protect. This is an obligation upon us to protect the Kaaba from Abraha and his army. So they went to war with Abraha. But no one went to war with him from the Arabs as he was making his way to Mecca. No one went to war with him except they were annihilated. They were destroyed. Yani he pummeled them pretty much, subhanAllah, destroyed them. But when he would beat them, obviously destroy them, etc., there were some of the chiefs which he would keep alive. The first tribe that he went to war with was one that was in Yemen. Because he was in Yemen, we said, right? He was leaving from Yemen to Mecca. So when he got closer to Mecca, towards yani, uh, the outskirts of Yemen, or just inside yani, Yemen, he went to war with someone uh, uh, from the uh, tribe yani, from Himyar, and it was mentioned, subhanAllah, that this individual, when he got conquered and beaten, when Abraha wanted to go to kill him, he said, spare me pretty much, you could use me in the future. You could use me in the future, don't kill me. Yani, I'm known, I'm the chief, I'm the head, I'm one, two, three. So, uh, he left him, he left him. And uh, another, another tribe known uh, as Al-Nufayl ibn Habib, this was the leader of that tribe, Al-Khath'ami, uh, to others, uh, until they reached, reached anywhere a group from Al-Ta'if. Who had sent out news to their submission. Now, brothers, I want you to picture this. Abraha is going now from Yemen to Mecca to what? To destroy the Kaaba. As he's going to Mecca, as he's going to Mecca, he's sitting there going to war with these other tribes amongst the Arabs because they're trying to defend their pride and honor. Now he's going tribe after tribe, he's defeating them, he's annihilating them. One, two, three. Until he reaches where? He reaches a Ta'if. And Ta'if had a lat in it. Allah was like their idol, يعني, that they used to worship, their head there. Now, is Abraha going to hurt their idol? No. He's going to destroy the Kaaba. So what did they do? They went there submissively towards him, saying pretty much, we're at your service. We're at your service. Not only did they do this, they gave him someone who knew the roads, knew the streets, knew the areas, knew the people, knew, the, knew everything, subhanAllah. They sent him someone, this tribe in a ta'if They didn't want to fight Abraha They knew him, like this guy just ran over how many people, right? So they don't want to fight him they'll, خلص, they'll get destroyed So what did they do? Not only did they go out there saying No, no, we don't want to fight You know, we come to you in peace, etc, etc They actually, he said here Take this guy He knows the ins and outs of the areas Let him be your guide So he ended up uh, going with them And his name was Abu Rigal Or he was known as Abu Rigal يعني the Kunya and he went with Abraha, he was a freed slave, until they went to an area known as Wallahu A'lam Al-Mughammis. Now this area, uh, Abu Rigal actually died there. He actually died. Yani this individual that this individual that the people, the tribe of At-Ta'if, they sent as similar to, yani, uh, uh, to as a guide, he died in where? This area called Al-Mughammis, which is just on the outskirts of Mecca. Now this uh, individual, it was mentioned, he's, a, he's an Arab, right? This Abu Rigal, he's an Arab. From a ta'if, the people of a ta'if generally were Arabs now. So after they sent this individual Abu Rigal, what was his job? To guide Abraha to the Kaaba, to destroy the Kaaba. This is a form of treachery, يعني. This is a form of treachery, يعني. You're committing treason pretty much. You're, you're going with the, you know, the enemy 
to go to destroy something which is meant to be the Arabs' pride and honor. So now what happened, subhanAllah, after he passed away and got buried in that area, his grave was known. After everything was done and dusted, his grave was known. So what did the Arabs, they used to do every time they would go past his grave? They used to pelt it with stones. They used to pelt it with stones because this individual is a traitor now, right? So subhanAllah, out of like a punishment, yani, and a symbol against this individual, they used to pelt his grave with, with stones. So eventually after Abu Rigal passed away, Abraha sent out a message that he had not come uh, to fight, but rather to demolish the Kaaba. So now they're in this area called Al-Mughamis. And now Abraha, he doesn't want war. He doesn't want to fight. All he wants to do is go destroy the Kaaba. Khalas, that's it. So he sent out a messenger with a message to tell Abdul Muttalib, or really to tell uh, the, the people of Mecca and that we don't want to fight. So after getting into Mecca, this messenger, who does he speak to? He ends up with Abdul Muttalib and he tells him, listen, one, two, three, Abraha has he. He wants to destroy the Kaaba. He doesn't want to fight. All of these things. So Abdul Muttalib, he had 200 camels taken away from his possession. 200 camels. From who? From Abraha's people that Abraha had sent into the town of Mecca. So now Abdul Muttalib requests to sit with Abraha. And Abdul Muttalib brothers was a respected man. Yani. He, wasn't, he was a respected man, subhanAllah. Uh, he was known and everything. So after a few connections and one, two, three, they ended up getting uh, the sitting. And I just want to read to you just what Al-Dhahabi rahimahullahu ta'ala he mentioned and other ulama. Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, the people of the elephant came. And this is like similar to a little summary of the story as well. The people of the elephant came until they got close to Mecca. And Abdul Muttalib confronted them and said to their commander, their leader, what brought you to us, O Master? Why did you not send to us and we would bring you everything that you want? So Abraha, يعني, he said, I heard that no one enters this house except that he feels safe. So I came to make the people scared. I came to frighten the people. Abdul Muttalib said, we'll give you everything you want. Just go back. But the leader refused to leave until he would enter it, يعني Mecca. Because where did they meet? They met at the outskirts of Mecca in the area called Al-Mughamis, where Abu Rigal passed away. So he says, I've come to frighten the people. Abdul Muttalib said to him, we'll give you everything you want. Just go back. But the leader refused to leave until he would enter it. And he started moving towards the house. So Abdul Muttalib resorted to a mountain and said, I will not witness the destruction of this house and its people. And then he chained or chanted, sorry, lines of poetry in which he asked Allah to protect the Kaaba. And then inshallah, we're going to see the rest of the story. Some narrations, my brothers, they hint at the fact that Abraha was a man with some dignity, with some dignity, with some respect. That's why يعني, when Abdul Muttalib finally got to sit with Abraha uh, in the outskirts, in Al-Mughamis, the outskirts of uh, Mecca, it was mentioned that Abraha, when he saw him, he was shocked, يعني, this individual, Abdul Muttalib here, you can just tell, you know when you see someone, brothers, you can just tell they're a respected person, subhanAllah. You can just, just tell just from their appearance, just from their haiba, their waqar, their status, and one, two, three, you can tell. And that's what happened with Abraha when he saw him. So Abraha didn't want this individual, Abdul Muttalib, to sit on the same level as him on the throne, or on where he was sitting, yani the elephant, etc. Nor, nor uh, did he want him to be above him, nor did he want him to be below him. So what did he do? Abraha actually got off his beast, and he went and he sat with Abdul Muttalib on uh, a certain seating area, the floor. Wallahu a'lam. So then Abdul Muttalib starts to discuss with Abraha. What's the first thing you think he's going to say, brothers? And you're like, thinking about it, what's the first thing Abdul Muttalib would say to Abraha now? Yeah, يعني, something like that. Something like that. And he, why are you coming to destroy the Kaaba? What happened? 
Or at least, oh, did this guy go to the toilet in your cathedral? Tell me who he is. Let us deal with him, yani. But what did he ask? Who knows? Uh, he asked about the camels. He said, I pretty much, I want my 200 camels back. So now Abraha, subhanallah, yani, he's thinking like, I thought you were a respected man. One, two, three, you were switched on, etc. Yani, I'm coming to destroy the Kaaba. You'll come and ask me about camels. That's like, brother, someone, you know, that... For example, uh, uh, there's a lot of examples. For example, someone coming to steal $100,000 off you, right? And then it's like, but they take a little pin or something. So then when you see them, instead of talking about the hundred grand, you tell you talk to them about the pin. What do you mean? The Kaab is about to be destroyed by these people. How are you talking to them about uh, the camel? So that's what يعني, uh, Abraha actually said. يعني, you were a respected man, but now you're asking me about the camels and not about the Kaaba, which is a symbol. And a representative, he says, this is what comes in the Athar. He says, you don't ask me about the Kaaba, which is a symbol. And a representative of the religion or your religion past and present and those of your forefathers. So Abraham mentioned that when I laid eyes on you, I respected you, but not anymore. So Abdul Muttalib says, Wallahi, actually very powerful words. Yani, look at subhanallah, the wisdom. He says regarding the camels that I own these camels. I'm the owner. But the sacred house, the Kaaba, has a lord and has an owner that will protect it. Yani, I'm mas'ul, I'm responsible for my camels. Allah Azza wa Jal is the owner and responsible of the, the Kaaba. And Abdul Muttalib, subhanallah, he previously had said, we will not stand between him and the house. And if Allah leaves for him to destroy, then by Allah we have no power to protect it. And this is why Abdul Muttalib, it's mentioned when he uh, grabbed hold of the door, if you'd like to say, or that of the Kaaba, he actually recited some lines of poetry. He says, Lahumma, Lahumma, yani Allahumma, inna al-abda yamna'u rahlah, famna hilalak, wansur ala ali salibi wa abidihi al-yawma alak, la yaghlibanna salibuhum wa mihaluhum ghidwan aw udhran mihalak, in kunta tarikahum wa qiblatana, he says, Oh Allah, surely when a man, يعني, uh, someone comes to take something off a man pretty much, he will defend his home. So defend your Kaaba. And do not allow their cross and their wrath to overcome uh, yours. And oh Allah, يعني, uh, your, your power. يعني, so don't let pretty much their power, as some ulama said, overcome your power and help uh, your people against uh, them. So Abraham now, يعني, with sheer arrogance and pride, what does he say? He goes on to say that, there's no defending anything pretty much from me today. Yani, you're saying it's got a lord, it's got an owner, it's going to protect it. There's no one that's going to protect the Kaaba from me today. So now it's on. Yani. Now Abraha clearly outright challenges Allah Azza wa Jal. So Abdul Muttalib, he commanded the people after this when he went back, he commanded the people to go and take shelter and cover and seek protection by evacuating to the mountain and the mountain areas. And then when Abraha loaded the elephants, you know, he loaded the elephants with what he needed of, for example, يعني, ammunition and guards and whatever he wanted to put on them. They were making their way towards Mecca. And it's mentioned, brothers, remember how we said and we spoke about the, uh, what do they call it? The trainers of the elephants, right? The Abraha got a trainer or trainers. There was one main one who was always around, Abraha, uh, one main trainer. Now, one of those heads and leaders of Wallahu A'lam, يعني, this is what's mentioned in some of the narrations pertaining to this. Wallahu A'lam regarding the exact authenticity. But it's mentioned that now uh, uh, the trainer was very close to Abraha and the elephant. 
And who was around them spending a lot of time? One of those leaders and the heads were there. Tribe got annihilated, but he got spared. So remember how we said that he said, you know, spare me. Maybe you can benefit from me. This individual, when he realized that khalas, now Abraham is going to go into Mecca and try to destroy the Kaaba. It's mentioned and Allah knows best that he learned a few things from this. Uh, uh, the, the, what do they call it? The... Um, the elephant whisperer يعني. So he went أعلم, And he started to speak to the elephant And he told the elephant of what's happening Etc, etc, etc So it's mentioned and Allah knows best That when the elephant would face Mecca It would not march It would stay in its position Kneeling, sitting And it would not march forward But when it would face Yemen Or something like this It would go and it would Wanna march and wanna run or whatever it is But facing the Kaaba, absolutely not So at the end of the day it was mentioned that they beat it They hit it, يعني, they tried everything to get this elephant to go Towards Mecca, it would not go It would not go And at times it would get up and it would turn And it would come and it would run and it would one, two, three But take it towards the Kaaba, It will stay in its position And it wouldn't move an inch So anyway, the point is After this Abraha still tried to make his way towards Mecca to destroy the Kaaba with his with his soldiers. And subhanAllah, uh, we said that where did the people of Mecca go? They went to the mountains. Yani Abdul Muttalib advised, and he knew, Abdul Muttalib knew that Allah Azza wa Jal, if he rules and wants to protect his house, he's going to protect the house. And if he did not want to, that's because of the wisdom of Allah Azza wa Jal. So Allah Azza wa Jal, when they went in to destroy the Kaaba, Abraha and his people, to summarize the story, I know it's been a bit rushed today, subhanAllah. Uh, we're a bit tired on time, especially that Isha has came forward. But to summarize the story, as they marched towards and proceeded towards Mecca to destroy the Kaaba, Allah Azza wa Jal sent a certain type of bird, a certain type of bird with pebbles. And it was mentioned that these pebbles were extremely, extremely small. So Allahu A'lam, it was mentioned that they would hold two pebbles with their hands or their legs, يعني, whatever you'd like to call it, their claws and the likes, and one pebble with their beak. So each bird having three pebbles are in, 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 in يعني, flocks upon flocks upon flocks, and they would, from a high, obviously, place and area, they would pelt these individuals with the pebbles. And subhanAllah, it's mentioned as well that some of these, some of these pebbles would not instantly kill Abraha and his army. So much so, subhanAllah, brothers, that when Abraha was making his way into Mecca, how was he doing it? He was doing it in an arrogant way. He was doing it as if he owns the world and that which is in it, subhanAllah. And look how Allah Azza wa Jal caused him to go back to where he came from in the most degraded and most humiliated way, subhanAllah, yani. Look at the wisdom of Allah Azza wa Jal, that the, the pebbles that these birds were throwing uh, on Abraha and on one, two, three, yani, subhanAllah, extremely small, it was mentioned, brothers. Think of them, Allahu A'lam, like bullets, yani. but they would not instantly kill every time. So at times it's mentioned that they will, for example, would cut off fingers, they would cut off whatever, they would do this. So it's mentioned that now when obviously they were uh, uh, getting pelted with these things, they retreated, but everyone yani, was already too late by now. So it's mentioned that Wallahu Alam Abraha, when he went back to his people, he just made it back into where he was from and he eventually passed away like that. Yani this, is, this is the plan of Allah Azza wa Jal. Look what Allah Azza wa Jal, he says, وَمَكَرُوا وَمَكَرَ اللَّهِ and they plan and Allah plans. Wallahu khayrul makirin. And Allah is the best of planners. But sometimes you might see some of these kafar plotting against the Quran, plotting against Islam, plotting against this. Do you think that Allah Azza wa Jal is not able to annihilate all of, all of these people in what we know in a heartbeat, the blink of an eye? Of course He is. 
Allah Azza wa Jal does what He pleases and does what He wants. But we need to remember, Allah is the most wise. Allah Azza wa Jal knows what He's doing, Subhana. We may not know, we may not see it, but Allah Azza wa Jal knows. So as we said, look, Allah Azza wa Jal let them and let them and let them until He ended up causing their destruction by such a small animal, Subhanallah. And we know that from the story of Izwa and Nimrud, the one that Ibrahim alayhi salam debated in Surah Al-Baqarah, and how he passed away is the same. These people, they thought they run the earth. And these people, they thought they owned the earth. And look how Allah Azza wa Jal sends the smallest of creatures to be their utmost destruction. And it was actually mentioned as well that there were a few of these individuals that were left alive. Allah Azza wa Jal left them, subhanAllah. And they were seen in the streets of Mecca and the likes. Yani after that, and Medina, and they were seen in the streets, subhanAllah. Some of them, Allahu A'lam exactly what happened to them. Some of them went blind, some of them went one, two, three. But pretty much that was the cause of their uh, destruction. So inshaAllah ta'ala, next lesson brothers, so we can go and we can have our uh, burgers. <laughs> next lesson inshaAllah, we'll do a quick recap of the story and some lessons learned. And then we'll continue on inshaAllah ta'ala to the birth of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I do apologize for today's yani, fairly rushed lesson as I said. We've been a bit tight on time. InshaAllah ta'ala, next lesson and I'll try to speak a bit slower as well because I've gotten a few uh, brothers letting me know that. Wallahu a'la wa a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallim wa barik ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Jazakumullah wa khaira. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah.